Welcome to Over the Rainbow, a safe space and voice for all queer identities. I'm your host, Rachel Keithley, and I use she, her pronouns. Every Wednesday, we bring you new episodes dedicated to queer representation, education, and activism. Today's guest is Chloe Green. Chloe uses she, her pronouns. She is a comedian and comedy producer who co-founded The Lol Word, an LGBTQ plus women and non-binary comedy night. She's also a copywriter, political consultant, and all-around awesome human being. In today's episode, Chloe and I talk about LGBTQ plus representation in comedy. We explore how diverse the comedy scene actually is, and how queer people were traditionally the butt of jokes. We also explore how we need to continue to push for fair and proper representation of all queer people and other marginalised communities. Queer comedy is an important part of our culture and challenging the lack of representation of queer people in comedy and wider society is a job for all of us. So let's get on with the show. Welcome to Over the Rainbow. Ah, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? So your name, pronouns, but about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Hello, listeners. Um, my name's Chloe Green. Um, my pronouns are she and her. And um, yeah, what, what, what do I do? Great question. I am a, uh, a comedian and a comedy producer. Um, I co-founded the LOL Word, which is a LGBTQ plus um, women and non-binary comedy night slash experience, you could say. Um, I produce other shows um, and do my own stuff as well. And then by day, I am, because obviously comedy sadly doesn't pay the bills. Um, By day, I am a copywriter and a political consultant. So yeah, all about all about them words, all about that queer representation. I know, I love it. And I've seen you in the lol words, so we'll definitely talk more about that later. Cool. Yeah. But first, let's share something we've done this week to engage in queer activism or queer education. So do you want to go first or shall I? Um, after you, you go for it. Okay. Um, so I'm presenting this week at the British Society of Criminology Conference, um, just on part of my PhD. I hate presenting so <laughs> I'm really pushing myself out of my comfort zone here um, and I'm one-fourth of a panel specializing in LGBTQ plus online hate so for my paper I'm going to be talking on inter-LGBTQ online hate so hate that's carried out by LGBTQ plus people towards other LGBTQ plus people. Um, I've actually talked about this before in my podcast it's on episodes 18 and 19 of season one um, but yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about is removing this hierarchy of identity within our own community. So fingers crossed I do okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Good for you. What are your like tips for getting through like a nervous kind of uh, public speaking situation? Um, well, I always think, well, I keep telling myself that I always feel more nervous than I appear. And people have told me this my entire life. Like, and also everyone's always in the same boat. Very few people love giving presentations. Most people in the room will also be shit scared of standing up and presenting. So they're all really in it for you. And the beauty of right now is that 
it's online. So I'm literally going to be talking to my computer <laughs> rather than a room full of people. So milk that while I can. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Zoom really like hides a lot of um a lot of ills, doesn't it? Like can't see your, your little shaky knees on a Zoom yeah, screen. Exactly. <laughs> <Your paper. laughs> but yeah, so excited and nervous for that. Mm-hmm. Good for you. That's cool. Um, mine was um, conversely, as you might imagine being a comedian, don't hate doing presentations. What what a freak. Um, I similarly did a presentation to my colleagues. I work at a little agency. And because it was um, Ida Hobbit, Ida Hobbit, um, which I think is a, well, quite an unfortunate acronym, to be honest, not being a big Hobbit fan myself, um, I'm really like gunning for um, lesbian phobia to go in there. So it's Ida Hoblet, because then at least we can move away from the connotations of um, Tolkien. But anyway, um, I, uh, with my colleagues, two other queer colleagues, we presented um, about queer allyship to our um, to our teammates at our agency. And we, yeah, it was really cool, actually. We just wanted to like kind of bring people in and say, you know, um, here are some things that you can do as, um, as allies to queer people. Here's what we can do as an agency. And yeah, here's what you can do individually. We talked about like the importance of asking for pronouns on like, you know, kind of client calls and why that, you know, why that feels more inclusive and why that can make people feel, yeah, really like safe and seen. Um, and we talked about other things like, you know, places that they can donate, um, campaigns that they can join, petitions they can sign, etc. And I think like a lot of our, you know, colleagues like would certainly think of themselves as like allies for sure, but it was just like a nice way to like, check in and say like how about these things have you thought about this are you doing this stuff we talked about intersectionality as well like how the three people speaking um identify as white so we were like there's just so much more to this conversation that like we cannot cover because we're like ill-equipped and like intersectional struggles are like particularly difficult so as in it's particularly difficult for people who have other intersecting identities so you know we encourage you to like go away and read stuff and people came away feeling like yeah, I think quite like buoyed by it and and positive so yeah that was that was my little bit for the week that's amazing and it's always good when you get a good reception from it as well people actually thinking yes I can do this I can be an ally yeah 100% 100% it's like you know yeah just giving people confidence I guess in allyship is like really important exactly it's I think it's half the battle honestly is letting people know it's within their ability to do it and it is those small things like asking to share your pronouns on conference calls, it doesn't have to be some massive life-changing thing that you do. Yeah, exactly. It's so small. Yeah, it's small, but yeah, really like poignant stuff. Yeah, wicked. Amazing. So today we're going to be talking about LGBTQ plus representation in comedy. Uh, and as a queer comedian that I saw a few years ago, last year, pre-COVID, um, I thought that you'd be a perfect person to speak to. Um, so to start with, do you see a lack of LGBTQ plus representation in the comedy scene? Yes and no. I think it really, it depends where you look, right? Like if you look in London on like the kind of alternative scene or maybe like the kind of semi-professional or like more kind of amateur scenes, no, there is not a lack of representation. Like there is a lot of 
like really brilliant queer talent out there at the moment and kind of you know people coming up through the ranks and that's really exciting and yeah that that's yeah very promising but like I don't know if it's like necessarily a glass ceiling or if it's um or if it's just that like you know people haven't like broken through just yet because of like the kind of groundswell of queer talent that is coming along at the moment you know they haven't quite got there yet I don't know but yeah there's not when you go further up the chain if that makes sense so you know the, the stuff that you see on tv like the panel shows or the kind of live at the such and such there is certainly a lack of a lack of representation of of like queer experience and, and queer people a hundred percent I think it's like it's always that difficult thing as well of like you know you get like a couple of like <laughs> big moments where like your Alan cars or whatever will like break through but then of course it's like well you know that's that's like a, a cis white gay person man um it doesn't necessarily like feel as though it's you know seeing a, a like a breadth of queer experience being represented so yeah I think we've got we've still got a really long way to go before like queer voices are like totally normalized in comedy spaces um and that is happening you know like in the in the kind of more localized circuits and yeah I'm I'm so excited for that to hopefully translate to the mainstream yeah I think that's a great answer and I think that that's something I've noticed it's almost like a tick box oh we have Alan Carr in mainstream comedy we, we don't need anyone else now like this is this is it we've got our gay person um and then everyone else is it sort of feels like they're overlooked and I know you touched up on it a bit when you said perhaps it's that there's this glass ceiling that's not yet broken through but do you think there are any other reasons why we're seeing this lack of representation in the mainstream comedy scene we'll say yeah I mean it's like really 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 hard to be a comedian right like it's grueling and you can have a really like difficult quite um long-winded start if that makes sense like it can be it can take a really long time to like get anywhere or to get agent um like representation or to start making money etc and like as obviously a lot of us will know like queer people and lgbtq plus people are like disproportionately affected by unstable work or low wages etc um so i think those two things can kind of combine to make a bit of a cocktail of like it's actually not that viable um to be a comedian and to like stick it out until you make it so you know if you're backed by um loads and loads and loads of family money and you don't have to work full time or whatever or if you know you fit the certain you know you fit the look that makes you kind of rocket through the circuit into the mainstream like you've got really like broad mass appeal you're sort of largely inoffensive um and you can like play to those sort of like big club crowds that's where you might then start transitioning into like tv spots etc but yeah of course that means that like if you have a mainstream appeal it might be because you're straight and you're white etc so yeah like queer people stand less of a chance kind of doing that and it is more like the rare exceptions where that happens rather than the rule you know it's not just a matter of time it is like time and graft and money and patience and luck huge amount of luck so I just yeah I don't always think like those things are always going to be on like queer people's side yeah 100% and when you've got so many factors to sort of think about and consider it means your luck's even more down in that sense yeah yeah 
And certainly traditionally, if we're talking about comedy, the only, and I'm, I will not refer to it as queer comedy, but the only sort of LGBTQ plus mentions you ever got in comedy historically were when we were the butt of the joke. We weren't the comedian, we were the object of the joke. Um, so how has the queer comedy scene started to develop from this? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, we're still the butt of jokes, right? Like, absolutely. I think it's like becoming like, you know, slightly less socially acceptable to have like a punchline being about, you know, being gay or being a lesbian or whatever. But I still see it. And this is like gigging in London. I still see it, you know, like, it's not like we live in this little perfect utopia, like left wing bubble, actually, like, it's still very much like prevalent. Um, even when it's like softly prevalent, you know, like the butt of a joke is about being like emasculated or about being effeminate, you know, for, for men or for being like butch or undesirable, et cetera, for women. Like that is still very much like the punchline, um, which is, yeah, kind of very much like a queer phobic thing. But, but like now I think it's still really normal for trans people to be the butts of jokes like it might be slightly less tolerable for people about like gay people but trans people are still absolutely like absolutely the victim of 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 jokes and it's it's disgusting it's really really horrible and I think there's like there's always 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 like with queer communities right like a a sort of underground resistance or alternative spaces that we make and we create for ourselves and it's just as it's just as true in comedy like there are you know comedy clubs that are really queer friendly and there are specific queer comedy nights um you know that like are so much more safe for us so much more enjoyable we don't have to like win the crowd over and make them feel comfortable with our queerness before they're you know willing to start laughing people will just be like yeah I'm with you and I'll start laughing like immediately I'm already on board kind of thing um and that's what you know that's always existed in every facet of life queer people have created their own spaces and yeah it's a wonderful thing that that happens in comedy as well yeah I love that like going to queer comedy nights has just been so grateful like you said feeling safe but also being able to I don't being able to laugh at jokes that have queer content in them but knowing that there's just some genuine authentic motivations behind it rather than people just putting a stereotype or a cliche on me that I feel like then just festers over into the rest of life it's not like that joke stays in that sort of comedy venue people carry those cliches and stereotypes with them and it's it's really damaging a hundred percent yeah we we see ourselves in the narratives that exist about us right like and it can be really hard to yeah feel like maybe if that is true for you maybe if the stereotype is true it's really hard to feel like that's okay you know like to feel oh well is that stupid is that bad is that wrong am I like a joke for like conforming to xyz stereotype and feeling you know then that you have to like work really hard to reclaim stuff you know like silly things like um well for like gay men you know campness campness has always been the butt of a joke but actually like camp pride is a wonderful beautiful thing like men being like queer men being proud of their like campness and softness etc can be you know so empowering but it's so much effort isn't it it's so much effort to like reclaim and reown stuff that has been used against you it's painful yeah and it's absolutely work that you shouldn't have to be doing which yeah. is crazy and why like 
why do you think it is and it's not just like lgbtq identities but it's race religion disability there are all sorts of identities that are the butt of the joke but why do we'll say privileged people who do not share the, the aspects of those identities why do they feel like they have this god-given right to use our identity as the butt of a joke i mean rachel you're asking me to like explain male entitlement like yeah. <laughs> sorry do we have time probably not <laughs> yeah how long have you got i mean i'm not an expert but like woof we could be here all day like yeah it's a great question why do white people and men and non-disabled people etc straight people yeah why do they point at us and laugh I think there's like discomfort right discomfort indifference um you know if you live in like a very like privileged space of not really being kind of um offensive to anyone by being like entirely um sort of homogenous to like a to what you see on the telly or to what you see in films or something then yeah anyone that like challenges that by their very existence is probably quite threatening to you I imagine um and and people obviously want to humiliate threats you know it's a way to it's a way to combat a threat isn't it by you know kind of poo-pooing it and making it laughable and being cruel um and yeah so I guess yeah th threat fear um like trying to maintain that supremacy by putting people down I mean, it's the lowest form. It's the lowest form of comedy, isn't it? Like just mocking people that are different to you. But it's like such, you know, it's it's been such a tradition in comedy to to do that for a long time. And I think we're now moving into a space where like it is much more accepted that actually like punching down isn't smart and it's lazy. Um, you know, jokes have to work harder. Sure, you'll still get people who like are, yeah, who queer bash in comedy sets, etc., or who are racist or ableist, for sure, sexist. Of course there are. That happens, I mean, every single day in a comedy club. I'm sure right now, something like once every seven seconds, a male comic makes a joke about their mother-in-law. Do you know what I mean? That's like the most conventional boring shit on the, on the planet. But yeah, there is, I think there is a, a slow shift to thinking like that's not very smart. That's not very interesting. Yeah, it's absolutely not. And I think it's about time, isn't it? That it's not just queer comedians or any comedian of a minority that's doing this work. It's other people realizing that they need to work a little bit harder in their comedy. Yeah, oh, totally. People have gotten by, you know, people have like risen into like incredible positions of kind of power within comedy in terms of like, you know, the the money that they'll be making, the shows that they get, the spots that they get, the opportunities they're given. And they're not that good. It's just like, well, you were there at the right time and you probably like appealed to a very kind of, I don't know, like I'm loath to say middle England because I think that's in itself quite lazy, but you know what I mean? A kind of like a common sort of denominator and therefore like, yeah, we stuck you on the telly and gave you loads of TV shows and stuff. and. I mean, you know, the damage has been done, but I think I really hope we're getting to a place where like you have to work harder for that now. Maybe we're not. Maybe it's sad to say that that still does happen a lot of the time. But yeah, perhaps we are getting to a place where you do have to work at like a smidge harder. You have to like stand out a little bit more to get opportunities. I couldn't agree more. I was just going to say that I would like to think that people's privilege is no longer giving them a leg up. But as I was thinking, I was like... 
of course it's still giving them a, like a stop being so optimistic <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 oh totally and like you know the BBC gets like a bad rap for like you know it's kind of diversity targets or like the work that it you know attempts to do um to like diversify their lineups and their like <laughs> what they commission and stuff but like you know I don't think they go far enough like you know obviously the people who disagree with me think it's like oh bloody tokenism and it's like well no it's not tokenism it's like actually hearing more stories is like just a good thing you know what I mean just having more perspectives is obviously like a, a stronger proposition to like the British public on mass like it's so boring to hear the same stories to hear the same experiences like we should be going further yeah yeah I could not agree more so I'm guessing this ties in nicely to my next question which is what were your goals in entering the queer comedy scene um well perhaps uh yeah shockingly I didn't have like a set myself a little spreadsheet or anything like that when I went into it I cannot imagine I had goals. I think I'll have to like retrofit goals to my experience, if you don't mind. Um, Absolutely, that's fine. <laughs> I, I think I, well, I sort of stumbled into it almost by accident and then realised how much fun I was having and how much I loved it. And I think the thing that I can now point to that I was doing was like, I was just really seeking connection and community um when I started comedy I wasn't out so it was like very much a I guess like a an experience of okay I'm on stage I'm like sort of speaking about my experiences and about my life I'm sort of trying to like tell my truth but something's missing this doesn't quite feel right um and then I yeah I came out after I've been doing comedy for I think maybe like a year or so and and then it just I suddenly felt extremely vulnerable I don't think I'd felt that vulnerable prior to that time when I was just talking about like I mean it was like 2015 right so I was like has anyone been on tinder <laughs> like oh christ I absolutely cringe thinking about like my first sets god they're dog shit but like I was very much talking about like trying to date boys as like a very like political um woman and how like you know ho -ho, sometimes that gets you in a real bind Ugh, like oh god but like you know then actually talking about on stage like that transition to like dating women and coming out and telling my parents that I was gay and that stuff you know I felt really vulnerable um in a way that yeah as I said I hadn't before and I think like what I really needed was to like find people in audiences who'd had similar experiences who wouldn't just laugh but they'd like nod you know nodding and laughing and then like you know very egotistically I guess like when people come up to you after a show and they're like oh my god that bit you said about what your mum said when you came out that is so bang on my experience you know and having that experience of people coming up and saying that they had similar experiences, similar stories. It's just incredibly validating, you know, in a totally selfish way. Like it's so validating to feel like you're speaking to people who get it. Yeah, I realized that I was like, as you said, and people were nodding, I was like, nodding all. <laughs> yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> I think this is, this is why sort of, I like the idea of having humor and comedy around LGBTQ plus identity because 
like you say, not only do you find people in your audience, or if you are an audience member and there's someone speaking to you during their set, and you just resonate, it just resonates with you. It also sometimes for me takes away that like scary and serious edge because obviously it does feel so like, and it is a big thing like coming out being LGBTQ plus whatever your journey is, but you don't want to have to feel like it's so serious 24 seven. So to be able to find that in the comedy scene, I think is just like a breath of fresh air. Oh, a hundred percent. And like, you know, the stuff that makes me laugh the hardest is all of that like awkward, clunky, embarrassing shit that like goes on when you are, well, just like a human, just like a person, but like particularly, <laughs> particularly the queer stuff, you know, like that is, that's so important to hear exactly as you say so much of being um lgbtq plus is often that real kind of like ooh discrimination and hatred and fear and being closeted and not living authentically and it's depressing and anxiety inducing and that is all true and being able to go into a space where like you can have a laugh about those things with people who've experienced something similar that is yeah that is like kind of revolutionary it's like very special and obviously within that we've already talked about how there are so many different perspectives and voices within the world so presumably that therefore means that lgbtq plus diversity in comedy is also really really important a hundred percent a hundred percent and kind of like as you know as i like alluded to talking about you know those that kind of like those queer voices that break into the mainstream it can be very white very cis very gay, um, very male. And I think, you know, unfortunately that does still exist. Like there are still more, um, I, I don't have the data. I don't know if the data exists, but I'd, I'd imagine from my experience, like, you know, going to shows, running shows, etc., there are more kind of white queer people and white cis queer people talking about their experiences on stage than there are um, like trans people or people of color and that is like yes yeah, sort of slowly shifting slowly changing for sure it just you know it always just takes longer everything takes longer when the barriers to entry are higher you know like it's so much harder to get the numbers through the door when the barriers are yeah so plentiful so I think within the scene within like the queer comedy kind of spaces and stuff that is still you know, a bit of a lack of diversity, but oh my God, it really exists. You know, like wh when you when you look and when you put the time in and when you go to the right shows, God, it's there like in abundance, you know, it's not, it's not like it doesn't exist. It's just, if you went to bloody Leicester Square on a Friday night, um, you're, you're not gonna, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're gonna see like, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, a, a, a white cis lesbian. Yeah, <laughs> as an at an absolute stretch. That would be a good day. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. If you look, if you put in the time and you look, it is it is there. So, could you share with that the work that you did um, setting up the law word? Yeah. What What specifically do you want to know? Where shall I start? At the start. At the start. Yeah. <laughs> right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good place to start. I hear. Gosh, well, it was 2017, 2017, yep, I had to think about that, um, and the delightful comedy duo um, Shelf, they are made up of um, two 
fab people, Rachel and Ruby, they asked um, three of us, their friends, if we wanted to do an Edinburgh Fringe show together because they had secured a venue and they had a slot and they wanted to do a mixed bill show. And we'd all kind of met individually, I guess. Like I'd met Jodie Mitchell and I'd met Chloe Pertz and I knew Rachel and Ruby, but like we weren't super tight friends or anything. We just kind of vaguely knew each other. We'd done a few gigs together. And I think Ruby and Chloe actually had like gone to uni at the same time at UCL. But anyway, we were kind of, I guess, a bit disparate. And then, yeah, Ruby and Rachel brought us together to do this show. And we just had an absolute riot. It was so much fun. Um, it was a yeah, it was a great time. And obviously, you know, it was kind of last minute and we only had about eight shows, I think. And we were in the basement of the gay bar in Edinburgh called The Street. Um, so it was like sweaty and dingy and yeah, definitely not a um, an accessible venue at all. Oh God. Yeah, it was it was very much like, an Edinburgh fringe thing, you know, like sort of a, a cupboard at 320 for a pound, that kind of vibe. Um, but it was great and we had a really nice time. We had so much fun and we thought, you know what, this is this is a good time. We gel well and we'll we should probably do shows in London now that we're back home, you know, after the fringe, because there's an appetite for this. People came. <laughs> People came. Wow. So yeah, we started putting on London shows and then yeah, it just really took off. Like our shows were like selling out. We had a, like a lovely little venue, um, brilliant comedy space at the Albany, um, which is a pub and the, again, the basement. Always a basement, always a basement. I was gonna say, I went to your comedy show in Leicester in a basement. <laughs> always a damn basement, isn't it? What's that about? Yeah, like keep the, keep the lesbians underground, right? Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Yeah, um, but they've, they've, you know, they've always been like weird spaces that kind of like are sort of turned into a comedy venue. And then the next day it's like a bloody town hall or a church or something, you know, what I mean? I, all of these queer, queer spaces are often like <laughs> seven other things the other, the other days of the week sort of thing. But um, yeah, we just had a great time at the, at the Albany and it's just been like kind of gone from strength to strength since then really lots of really wonderful opportunities like Vault Festival and Leicester where we met and Edinburgh again and Manchester and Brighton and Cambridge Fringe and um, we've played at the South Bank, South Bank Centre and the Soho Theatre um, yeah so it's just been it's just been like a busy couple of years of like lots of really wonderful opportunities and yeah growing, growing our audience. Which has been absolutely incredible to watch and it's amazing that you've been given these spaces to perform and to show people your art. Um, but what more do you think needs to be done to create spaces for queer representation in comedy? Because I assume the work is not done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we fixed it actually. Um, Those basements, it's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the five of us, done, nailed it, next. Um, no, it's, oh gosh, I mean, yeah, we're, like, we're miles away really from there being like properly like fulfilling, gratifying, appropriate, proportionate representation of like queer voices, like in the mainstream and in the comedy scene at every level, we're so far away. I don't know what the answer is to be totally honest. I can't give you any, I can't give you the, the good value shit, I'm afraid. I don't know. 
I don't bloody know. I think it's like lots and lots and lots and lots of little things have to happen and it's always going to take absolutely ages, but it's just a like the world is a kind of slow moving beast, isn't it, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think like lots and lots of like queer talent is coming through. And I think when people want to make shows that feel safe, you kind of have to just bloody make them. Do you know what I mean? Like we invented, invented, we started the lower word because it didn't exist that we that we could see, you know, like there wasn't and like an obvious home for um like queer women and non-binary um like talent so we were like well yeah let's make it and I think if people start making stuff as so many queer people do we're like a wildly enterprising bunch um you know if we if people start making it more will be made you know what I mean it's just like it's just it just continually goes on that way like lots of like people are inspired by going to shows I've been inspired by seeing other queer com comics and being like okay yeah there's there's an audience that, for this there's a space for this um and I think that's that's how it's gonna that's that's how it's gonna work right like we just have to like make the shit stick it out and then you know people in positions of power producers tv execs etc they need to pull us up you know they need to pull us up if you can diversify commissioners and producers which again is a whole challenge in itself then you will diversify the stuff they make yeah I think that's a great answer and I just think there's no excuse now is there to not diversify that talent because the audience is there like you see what we're like on social media when you see a gay character pop up in a tv show or a music video or whatever we eat that shit up <laughs> like we are ready for it so we're hungry for more <laughs> A hundred percent. This is the thing. Like we're a we're a loyal bunch, right? Like we turn out if there are shows, if there are, you know, physical like gigs and shows, TV shows, films or whatever, like we come through, we see it, we watch it, we, you know, even if it's fucking naff, like the amount of like queer women led like budget films out there, you know, we've seen them all, even when they're total dross. And we love them and we cherish them because it's kind of all we've got, right? So when stuff is made, we turn up for it. You're totally right. There's no excuse. Which kind of answers my question of what can listeners do to support queer people in comedy? But do you have anything else to add to that point? I mean, yeah, like like go to stuff, you know, go go to stuff. And like, I'm really conscious that like what we learned over lockdown was that like, you know, actually we can make comedy so much more accessible and it was really inexcusable that we weren't making it accessible before you know like we suddenly thought oh wow shit look at this like we've managed to put on a show that was not half bad on zoom and loads more people could attend from lots of different places and regions in the country and people with different access needs people with like caring responsibilities etc like now that we I mean, it's, yeah, it's embarrassing that we didn't do it before, to be totally honest. But now we know that we can, like, you know, access should be like a priority. It should absolutely be a priority. And so when I say go to stuff, I don't necessarily mean physically, like you don't have to physically be, you know, able to go, but like listening to like queer podcasts, listening to like queer led um, like yeah comedy shows online or if you can like physically attend going to them 
seeking them out I think like yeah go on go on a deep dive of the internet and find find your people find the art and then just consume it I love that um do you have any amazing queer comedians or performers that you want to plug that we should be following and supporting besides yourself of course (laughs) (laughs) um Oh man, like this is where I should have like written a list, you know, like an Oscars acceptance speech or something prior to the show. I should have written it down because now I'm going to like kick myself. I'll be so cross with myself for not having said certain people. There are like people who are like really, 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 really superb who are like getting a lot of opportunities at the moment. And like, that is just the most wonderful thing. Like, excuse me, like Sophie Duca is like a wonderful comedian um Kima Bob is like again really rising and bright and superb um Mae Martin has got like an amazing show called Feel Good which I'm sure like most of the listeners will have you know looked into because it's like a queer-led Netflix jobby so yeah and you know Mae is like very funny um yeah just just again like a real fresh a real fresh voice but like other than just like listing like a dozen people I think find the ones that you find funny do you know what I mean like humor is so subjective it's actually really hard to necessarily just say like oh these people are funny like go and listen you know it might not it might not suit you there might be stuff that's much more up your street maybe it's alternative maybe it's surreal maybe it's you know like maybe it's maybe it's drag maybe it's like yeah much more like performance art rather than just like straight to use a operative word like stand-up comedy you know maybe it's sketch maybe it's you know so it's like I think it's just the fun of it is actually like finding the stuff that you find funny yeah I couldn't agree more and I think it's this is the time to do it as well as we're like peeking our heads tentatively out of hopefully the end of the pandemic touch word haven't curse that we're slowly getting there but like arts and humanities are starting to pick back up again where they weren't able to and yeah now's the time to go see all that queer content we've missed in the past year <laughs> exactly a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent oh well thank you so much for this today i've absolutely loved having this conversation with you oh thank you yeah me too it's so sometimes you don't really like stop and pause and like reflect on this stuff you're just like go 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 so it's really nice to yeah it's really nice to think about it thanks for inviting me on you're welcome and I'm excited to see where the future of your comedy goes I you know what I'll be honest I'm kind of on like a bit of a stand-up hiatus I'm not I'm not taking a step back necessarily from the scene and like I still want to produce stuff and like run shows etc but like yeah I don't know there's like the, the itch that I used to have to be on stage has sort of subsided to be honest, I'm such a bloody attention seeker. It'll probably come back. It might just be that I've had a year away and now I'm like, ah, oh, it's nice to sit on the sofa and watch telly, isn't it? <laughs> I think maybe I've just um, I've just really leaned out and perhaps if I start going to gigs, I'll, I'll get that I'll get that hunger back. Yeah. Well, you've, you're on the other sort of important side of it, aren't you, by producing the queer content. So either way... So, someone's got to do it. Exactly. It's still great work. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> thank you thank you so much for listening today new episodes are available every wednesday so please do download share and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing if you have any questions or feedback please contact the podcast on social media we are on instagram at at underscore over the rainbow podcast twitter 
at Over Rainbow Pod and Facebook at Over the Rainbow Podcast 13. Have a queer week and I'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs>